Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Cardiovascular disease continues to be the leading cause of death among women in the United States, accounting for one of every three female deaths. Women are at greater risk for progressive disease and death because it's often under-recognized and under-treated by physicians and other healthcare providers. Today, my guest is Selena Gorak, Chief Executive Officer of an organization called Women Heart. She will explain what women need to know about risk factors, common symptoms, diagnosis, and treatment for cardiovascular disease, and she will also describe lifestyle changes women can make to prevent cardiovascular disease and how social supports can help hasten recovery for those who have the disease. So welcome, Selena, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, Selena, you just heard I talked about heart disease being the number one killer of women. Is that still true? I just want to make sure that's correct. And if so, why? It is indeed true. Um, and, and unfortunately, it's true. Um, and one of the main reasons uh, it is true is, as you stated, Cheryl, that the, the level of awareness has actually declined over the last 10 years. Um, and that's true across the board, again, um, you know, in the general public, um, when we when we do surveys about awareness, uh, it, it seems that even women still believe that breast cancer is their number one killer, when in fact it is heart disease. Um, and the other thing is we know that the risk factors surrounding heart disease have also increased, which so it, it is logical, therefore, that uh, heart disease um, continues to be the number one killer of women. And I just wanted you to clarify a little more. Does this statistic all vary among racial and ethnic groups of women? It does vary a little bit. Um, when we take sort of take it on the average, 20% of deaths due to heart disease occur in women of all races. It's higher in for black women, it's higher for African Americans. Um, and interestingly, uh, it's about it's it's also higher um, for um, Native Americans um, and uh, American Indians. Um, and so we focus in, in our work at Women Heart, we focus specifically on those populations when we think about um, women um, in groups of women that are at higher risk for heart disease. Okay, well, that kind of sets the stage for all women, depending on who they are or their racial or ethnic background, what their risk is. So let's turn to heart disease. How is heart disease defined? Uh, we want to understand what are early signs of, of heart disease? And is that usually what it's called? Is it cardiovascular disease or heart disease? What, what resonates more with women when they're learning about this condition? Well, it, we certainly use heart disease and cardiovascular disease almost interchangeably, but I, I'm, I'm so glad that you pointed out the distinction, Cheryl, because when we talk about cardiovascular disease, we also talk about the vascular, the vascular system of, of our bodies, which would also then include stroke, um, whereas heart disease is, is much more focused on diseases of the heart. Um, the most common type of cardiovascular disease is coronary artery disease, or CAD, um, which affects, affects blood flow to the heart. 
Um, and so there's, there's a, like I said, there's an array of types of heart conditions that fall under the term heart disease. Um, and, you know, we, we have learned a little bit more recently in, in sort of in the media um, about sudden cardiac arrest. Um, and that is different from heart attack. Uh, so again, two types of, of heart disease there. Um, and early symptoms, I think this is really, really important. You know, the warning signs. When you start to get discomfort or um, uh, pain in your chest, um, when you have um, unexplained um, back or neck, upper back or neck pain, um, even symptoms like indigestion, heartburn, nausea, vomiting, extreme fatigue, um, discomfort, just generalized discomfort in your in your upper body, um, dizziness, shortness of breath. These sorts of, you know, they could be general or vague. Um, but what is really important is that they are new to you. Um, so getting to know your body and what's normal for your body is really important. And with these possibilities of these early signs, I'm assuming that women may have risk factors that could lead to these symptoms. So let's focus particularly on older women, although since this is aging matters, but what should older women and all women ask their doctor about their risk for heart disease? What, what do they need to know about what might happen? Well, this is a great question, and and I agree that um, you know we we want to um, really emphasize this for older women. But we have seen, unfortunately, that the that women affected by heart disease has that group has gotten younger and younger. Um, we run a training for our um, volunteers, and we call them our Women Heart Champions. And last year's youngest uh, trainee was thirty years old. So, you know, it's something that all women, as you say, all women should should really consider. Um, I would say, you know, we have gotten as women used to having our annual exams with our gynecologist, but we should also consider having a yearly wellness exam, having our having our blood pressure checked. Hypertension or high blood pressure is the number one risk factor for for more serious heart disease down the line. So checking your blood pressure, knowing what that is, um, and then if necessary, taking medication to manage that blood pressure is really, really vital to um, preventing heart disease down the line. The second number I would say we all need to know is our cholesterol. Um, cholesterol is, is uh, you know, what could lead to plaque or buildup um, that could potentially cause blockage in our, in our arteries. Uh, so that's another really important number to know. Um, the other thing I would say that, that is a really important um, uh, risk factor for heart disease is if somebody is diabetic or pre-diabetic, um, diabetes and heart disease uh, go hand in hand. I was talking to a doctor who uh, treats uh, a lot of diabetes patients, and she said to me, actually, I, when, when I treat a diabetic, I'm treating their heart disease. Um, so it is absolutely worth asking your doctor about um, doing these checks. So knowing your blood pressure, knowing your cholesterol number, and then knowing where you are um, in terms of uh, risk for diabetes. Really, really important in assessing your risk. One other factor that would be helpful for you to talk about also, Selena, is family history. If uh, uh, a woman's parents have died of stroke or heart disease or some other relative, would you call that a risk factor as well? Cheryl, I would absolutely call that a risk factor. And it is, it is for that reason that I encourage women all the time to, um, to develop a, a, a sort of a family culture around speaking about your health. Um, so that, you know, you know what your Uncle Jimmy died of 
or you know you know um, what what uh, risk factors um, exist in other people who are close to you um, biologically, genetically, um, and and that is absolutely you know the the a risk factor we can't change. We can't change family history. We can't change genetics, nor can we change our age or or the sex that we were born into. Um, and so it's really, really crucial to know what those are so that you know what factors you're dealing with that are not changeable. And I'm really glad that you brought up about the the blood pressure. In you making a recommendation in, in Women Heart, do you talk a, about a normal blood pressure reading and what that might be? Yes. So um, a normal blood pressure reading is anything below 120 over 80, 120 over 80. The minute you go over that, um, we say that your blood pressure is elevated. And then above that, you know, about above 130 over over 80, that is, you have, you know, stage one hypertension. So, you know, th- there is a range, but we definitely want um, everyone to to know their numbers and to try as much as possible to keep your, your blood pressure below 120 over 80. And I suspect, I sometimes see in my readings, and I'm sure you have too, that high blood pressure can often be the silent killer. It's called that because you don't know unless you get your blood pressure taken. Do, do you agree? Absolutely. Unfortunately, people can have high blood pressure and not even know it. Um, they won't know it until it's too late until, until they've had perhaps a heart attack or, you know, a, a very, uh, you know, very significant, um, uh, risk factors that when they go in or sorry, symptoms so that when they go in to the doctors, they realize, wow, my blood pressure is, is sky high. So it's really, really important. You know, I encourage, um, folks who, who can who can do it to have a blood pressure cuff, a blood pressure monitor at home, um, so that you can check your blood pressure on a, on a regular basis. Um, again, you know, keeping your blood pressure within healthy limits, so below one twenty over eighty, is the most important and uh, controllable um, uh, risk factor that you've got in terms of uh, you know your your risk for heart disease. Okay. And and I'm glad that you also mentioned about cholesterol levels and people with diabetes knowing what their blood sugar levels are. Is there some recommendation that maybe one, because these can be uh, identified through blood work, is that something that people should have annually, every six months? Any recommendation yeah, so I I would say um, I would encourage folks to 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 have to make sure you're asking for blood work um, in your annual um, wellness exam um, and in particular checking your cholesterol levels and your blood sugar levels um, and you know you ask your doctor if if you know if it's a little bit high and um, you know, and, and, you know, the doctor may, may recommend that you really make a concerted effort to eat more healthy foods and um, eat less fatty foods, etc. And they may want to see you back in six months um, to see if your cholesterol has come down based on your healthier eating. Um, it, and then, you know, and, and if it hasn't come down, if, you know, if it stayed steady or has gone up, they may they may um, make the recommendation to put you on um, medication to manage and, and control your cholesterol. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later. So, assuming that maybe a woman might have cardiovascular disease and not know it, help us know more about screening tests. What what are the screening tests that are routinely used to diagnose cardiovascular disease? Yeah, so um, I mentioned already before um, blood pressure, cholesterol, blood sugar, um, and if you have symptoms like chest pain or shortness of breath, um, your doctor may also request an, an, an echocardiogram or um, and uh, an EKG to to really just sort of see um, how how your your heart is is functioning, how it's working. 
Um, and then that, that'll give them a lot more insight into um, the health of, of your heart. Um, the first three that I mentioned are really tests to, to see if there is an issue that needs to be kind of checked on further. But when you have symptoms, um, that's when the, the latter tests of the AKG um, and perhaps the echocardiogram would be warranted um, and, and would be recommended by, by your doctor. You mentioned a little bit earlier, Selena, about the common symptoms of, of uh, heart disease, but let's get more into the acute phase. When sure. a woman is having a heart attack, explain to us again, what are the most common symptoms of a heart attack in women? And as importantly, how do these differ some, from what women often hear men have? Because we want to really make sure that uh, women understand that. Yeah. Well, so let me, let me start, let me just start with, with men if I could, because, um, uh, you know, I often call it the Hollywood heart attack. Um, we see the man, you know, middle-aged, older white man clutching his chest, um, and then sort of, you know, slumping or, 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 or falling over. Um, and, you know, in very dramatic fashion, I, I will say, this is a plug to Hollywood, we very, very rarely see women having heart attacks in, in, on TV and movies. Um, and that's part of the reason why we've got this real disparity in knowledge about what, symptom, what heart, a heart attack looks like in women. Um, so the most common symptoms that I've heard in terms of um, heart attacks in women, uh, is extreme fatigue, fatigue like you've never felt before. Um, you know, women, we, we get tired during the course of the day, but we know when it's different, when it feels different. And I often hear the phrase, something definitely did not feel right. I just knew something didn't feel right. Um, shortness of breath, similar um, to men, but but this, again, is like something that that maybe you've, you've been exercising um, you know, f for most of your life, and then all of a sudden, walking up a, a, a short flight of stairs makes you out of breath all of a sudden. That is a sign that you need to take seriously. Um, again, nausea for no no reason that you're aware of um, is is something to pay attention to and, and to consider um, a heart attack, as well as pain in the back. So so unusual pain um, that might radiate to the back. Um, pain in the neck, pain in the jaw. Um, these are also uh, symptoms that are odd or, you know, different. Um, I've heard, uh, you know, I've heard so many stories of, of women who have symptoms like this and just sort of want to work it off or, or sleep it off. Um, and, you know, and, and the fact is, because women are so busy doing a multitude of things, I've heard also women say, I, you know, I couldn't, I didn't go to the ER because I just didn't have time for it. So, you know, I would also want to put a plug in here for women to pay attention to your bodies and put your health first. And I would just add one more symptom in my nursing days, I have and also because I have a family history of uh, cardiovascular disease, I talked with a cardiologist one time who also added, sometimes a symptom is it's the worst case of indigestion you ever had. Yes. And I just think that I always keep that in mind and want to share that with listeners as well, that that too um, could be something that you just think, oh, well, maybe if I just take a Tums, uh, that'll make it all go away. And unfortunately, that that doesn't. So to that point, I want to hear from you about if a woman is having these symptoms that you just so aptly described, what should she do? Call 911 to go into the ambulance or have a family member drive her to the hospital? What do you recommend? My absolute number one recommendation is to call 911. This is their number one job is to help you determine if your symptoms are an emergency and then transport you to the ER. Let them do their job. It is it's so vital. You know, one of one of my favorite cardiologists used to always say to me, um, 
you know, Selena, I would rather be a little bit, um, you know, embarrassed that, you know, maybe, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything serious after all, than then, you know, have had a heart attack or, or, you know, have passed away, um, because I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't take the, the important step of calling 911. So that, that is, you know, and that's better than, you know, having a family member drive you to the hospital because, you know, they're monitoring you in route when you call for the ambulance. And, um, you know, we want to make sure that um, you are taken care of as soon as possible. And, and that 911 call will get that, get that help to you as soon as possible. Well, and, and oftentimes, given particularly in urban areas, one can get stuck in traffic and this kind of thing, which can even delay getting to the hospital. And a family member doesn't know what to do if a person's symptoms start getting worse. So calling 911 is absolutely essential. And I was also wondering if, well, a woman, if she's having these symptoms and she's waiting for an ambulance, uh, I've read sometimes on the internet or on certain uh, websites of um, medical facilities that it could be okay to say take uh, a regular full strength uh, aspirin with with water. I've also seen that. Um, I I know that in in some circles it is indeed advisable to take an aspirin while waiting for the ambulance. And the idea there, just to be clear with everybody, is that it, to prevent bl- uh, blood clots. And you know, I think if you are um, if if that is your your you know concern, then I, I then I I think it it's fine to do that. Um, the 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 um, paramedics, when they arrive, will ask. Um, they often ask if you've taken an aspirin. Um, so I would just say, if you do that, please, you know, let them know that because that's important information for them as well. Well, I, and I think another thing just to add would be if one a woman is going to be going to the hospital and is talking with the paramedics, it would be helpful for her to, or a family member, uh, if they are there, to tell the paramedics what other medications a person is on. So if it is seems necessary in the ambulance to provide some kind of medication, they at least know what the woman is already taking. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in fact, you know, I, I would do one better while you're waiting. I would, if, if it's possible, gather up your medications so that you can bring them with you so that they can see exactly the dosage, exactly, you know, the, the, they can even get gather information like the prescribing doctor, et cetera. So that, that's a useful tip is to have, have your medication sort of in a place where it's easily accessible and ready to be taken um, if, if uh, you do end up in a situation where you are in, a, in an ambulance. So much to think about in the heat of the moment when you're having these symptoms to try to remember everything, which is one of the reasons why it's hopeful to have a family member there to to assist. Well, we're at a point now where we're going to take a short break in case you tuned in late. We are learning everything that you should know about women and heart disease. And our guest today is Selena Gorod, who is the chief executive officer of an organization called Women Heart. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We're talking with Selena Gorod, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Women Heart. And I want to now, you mentioned a little bit earlier, Selena, about getting to the hospital. When a woman is having these symptoms and she's having a heart attack 
at the hospital, talk about why it's important for a woman to be her own health advocate and demand that staff take her complaints seriously. Is this a problem? This is one of the most important aspects of, of our work at Women Heart is to advocate alongside women to make sure that they, when they find themselves in the ER, in the doctor's office, they are advocating for themselves. Um, and, and what we mean by that is, you know your body best, women out there. Um, and you know if you know that something is wrong, as Cheryl mentioned earlier, indigestion, indigestion like you've never experienced before or fatigue like you've never experienced before, you need to insist uh, with your healthcare providers that they do the proper diagnostics. It's it's being it's called being treated to guidelines, um, and you know don't let them send you home to just saying oh you know you're just tired or you're just stressed. You know you just need some rest. Um, make sure that they go through the with the diagnostic tests um, that uh, that make to rule out. Um, that you've had a heart attack, uh, you know, if, if, if you need some language around that, um, make sure that you, you indicate that you think it's your heart. Um, really, really important. Um, and, you know, and again, like Cheryl mentioned, if you do have a family member with you, make sure that, that they are also insisting and helping you and advocating for yourself. And then taking this one step further, as you began talking with the physician, in this case, it may be the emergency physician, about treatment options for these symptoms, is it important to ask about the risk versus the benefits? Yeah, absolutely. And and I, you know, I wanna I wanna also bring bring back up what you had mentioned earlier, Cheryl, which is um you want to make sure that that in addition to talking about risks and benefits, they, that your providers are fully informed about um, what other medications you're on, what other conditions you might have, um, because that will also help to um, clarify what the overall risks and benefits are to certain procedures. You may not be, you know, you may, you may, um, uh, you, you know, they may think that you need to have, let's say, a certain surgery, but, you know, because you have a certain condition, that may um, mean that they're going to rule out that that procedure. So it is very absolutely important to, to talk about risks and benefits and to weigh out the options and uh, and to consider, you know, what alternatives might, uh, what alternative treatments might exist for you. We're talking about risks versus benefits. What do women need to ask women or their advocate when they are with the uh, physician in the emergency room as to treatment options? What should they ask the physician about risk versus benefits? Yeah, so I, I think it's really important, um, first of all, before you even get to the risk versus benefits part, I I think it's very important in this as a precursor to this conversation to make sure that your physician knows all the medications you're on, knows all the conditions that you have um, so that, um, you know, they can, they can take the, 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 the full picture into account. Um, when you think about risks and benefits, you know, you want to make sure you understand what the, what the reason is for the treatment um, that they're recommending um, ask what the risks are and and um, how long, if 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 any, um, their the recovery time is, um, and then understand um, what alternatives also exist. Um, and then importantly, if there are cost implications, uh, you know you want to know that um, that. And if you have insurance, you want to make sure that. Um, that the procedure or the treatment option that they're making the recommendation for is, um, is covered under your insurance. Um, and, and, you know, knowing importantly, what the recovery looks like will also help you determine, uh, what kind of support you might need after the fact, um, at home, 
uh, during during your recovery process will also be really crucial in, in making a decision about a, a very informed decision about whether or not to go ahead with a certain uh, treatment or to pursue an alternative treatment. Well, and speaking of treatment options, I, I was thinking particularly of surgical procedures. Might there be questions maybe about age? Uh, I'm thinking particular with older adults where a surgical procedure might be risky or maybe better to wait. Anything special that we should know as to considering whether a surgical procedure might be necessary? Yeah, and and you know, let me let me caveat my answer, Cheryl, by saying that some some surgical procedures are are emergent, right? And so they they will be necessary to save the life of a person, and and so those decisions have to be made very very quickly. Um, but barring that, if if there is an opportunity to have a conversation about a surgical procedure, um, I would I would again ask similar questions: Why do I need this operation? Um, are there other treatment options to try prior to to doing to you know to having surgery? Um, I would ask, as as you mentioned, Cheryl, as an as an maybe a, perhaps an older woman, to act, to to consider you know are you strong enough to weather the the very real you know physical trauma of going through a surgery um, and then to recover you know to go through the recovery process coming out of of surgery. Um, also very, very important. Um, another thing to think about during the course of a, a surgery is what are your anesthesia options? And, uh, you know, making sure that you understand um, that anesthesia has a risk in and of itself. Um, and, uh, you know, especially if, if you've had issues in, in the past, that's something to absolutely bring up. Um, you know, what, what length is the, uh, is the surgery? Um, you know, is there anything that needs to happen? Are there any decisions that need to be made now, um, uh, in, in anticipation of some issues that might come up during the surgery? For example, a blood transfusion might need to happen. Um, and then what are the, what's all the preparation necessary, um, to prepare yourself fully for for a surgery, do you need to you know do you need to be fasting? Do you need to take a special diet? Um, is there any medication that you need to take take in, in preparation? I mean, you know the the list is the list is really long. And then, like I mentioned, the recovery time um, and the recovery period. What does that look like? And what sort of support do you need at home um, in order to make a, a you know a successful recovery? And I'm glad you brought up about prescription medications or any kind of medications for that matter, because I think that can really impact uh, the success of the surgical procedure or whatever kind of treatment is decided for the woman. Uh, is, is that correct? There could potentially be uh, drug interactions um, with different medications, which is why it's really important to to. Um, let your um, let your physician know what medications you are taking, um, and and but you know th that's that's a, a really important piece of the conversation you're having then. But it's a big conversation that Women Heart has had in terms of uh, all the research that has gone into prescription medications and the fact that um, the vast majority of, of participants in, in clinical trials. Uh, are men. Uh, so anyway, that's just sort of a sidebar, but it's, you know, it does figure into um, the prescriptions that women are taking and the eff effectiveness of those prescriptions and then the interaction um, across uh, different medications. Given all of these factors to consider, and, and you have really very nicely uh, listed what what women need to think about, women and their families, and that is, is it possible to recover fully from a heart attack? You know, it, I'm going to, I'm going to um, say definitively, it depends. <laughs> it just depends on the severity of the heart attack. Um, but I will say that, um, you know, once you've had the, the procedures and the treatments in the hospital, um, and you know, your, your doctor sort of gives you the green light to, uh, start to move again and start to exercise again. One thing I can say is a full recovery from a heart attack will depend on cardiac rehab. 
cardiac rehab is so important um, to anybody recovering from any kind of uh, heart diagnosis or heart event. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a critical, critical component of um, what your doctor should be prescribing to you upon um, discharge. Thank you for, for mentioning that, because I think that many hospitals do have cardiac rehabilitation programs. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about them? Are they, are they usually prescribed or recommended for women if they are in the hospital? Or when is that the program usually recommended? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really important question because, again, we see uh, that uh, women are regularly not prescribed cardiac rehabilitation, um, that um, it is more often prescribed to men with the same diagnosis or the same experience of, of a heart attack. Um, and this is another place that you can advocate for yourself as a woman. Um, you know, cardiac rehab is fundamental. It is a 36-session uh, program basically you are being, you, you go through, um, it's like, you know, it's like going to a gym, but it's going to a gym being watched by specialists in cardiac rehabilitation. So they help you to ramp up your workouts according to your, uh, progress in recovery following a heart attack. It's, it's again, like I, I can't, I can't say enough about how critical it is and how Women Heart is advocating for this to be, again, uh, for women to be treated to guidelines. In other words, to be uh, prescribed cardiac rehabilitation post heart attack. Um, it is not happening enough. It's not happening uh, as often as it is for men. Um, and it is something that needs to be corrected. Well, I'm glad that you're bringing up the whole concept of prevention because I'd like to really focus on that because it is so important based on what we've been talking about. So I'm going to go through a couple of the factors which can help in terms of prevention. And let's start with a heart-healthy diet. Yeah. Uh, talk about how can a heart-healthy diet lower heart disease risk? Yeah, you know, a heart-healthy diet... Um, can absolutely um, make us feel good, um, help us to feel better, give us more energy, and importantly, um, decrease the amount of um, uh, fatty fatty deposits in our blood and decrease our, our cholesterol and therefore decrease our risk for heart disease. Um, there are foods that are, you know, that are... Um, um, enhancing to our, our heart health. Um, and that's what I would focus on. Get good fiber, um, you know, have um, uh, whole grains, have um, good sources of lean protein. Um, you know, that, that's, what, that, that's really what I would, would encourage you to do. Eat as whole food as possible. And what I mean by that is um, unprocessed food, fresh food, um, and you know as uh, um, you know as as uh, as low as possible in terms of the amount of red meat um, that one might consume. Um, it absolutely makes a difference. Um, and and for those who you know may be a little bit um, reticent to do that, I would encourage you to just start start small. Give give yourself a week and see how you feel after a week. Um, but I would say the number one gauge as to whether or not you should stay on stay on such a diet is how you feel. It will make it will make a huge difference. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention exercising regularly. What can you tell us about that? It is, um, you know, you know, as what what they say, you know, use it or lose it. Um, and um, my my number one tip in terms of exercise is just walk. Walking does wonders, not just for our physical health, but for our mental health. We haven't talked much about that. Um, and it is, um, you know, to be outside, to connect with nature, to to breathe breathe deeply, um, some fresh air, some fresh oxygen. Um, really, really important. Um, and there are, you know, you get caught up in all the numbers and all the recommendations for how much 
I would say walk as much as possible, as often as possible. And talk about quitting smoking and losing weight. Yeah, smoking is absolutely um, one of the, the most important things we should not be doing in terms of our overall health, not just for our heart health, but our overall health. It can absolutely lower your risk for heart disease. And, you know, in the, the, the act of quitting smoking can do that. Losing weight, um, you know, keeping, keeping yourself at a healthy weight, um, you know, shedding some excess pounds is, it will also um, improve your heart health because it lowers the burden on your heart. Um, it lowers the, the, the work that your heart needs to do in, or in terms of um, supplying, um, you know, fresh blood, f- freshly oxygenated blood to, the, to your entire system, uh, to your entire body. Um, so losing the extra weight will, will help you do that as well. And I suspect that obesity now, which is, I think, 40% of the population, has really had an impact on why cardiovascular disease is so high in our country. Absolutely. Yep. That is, that has, it's one of the things that's, that is driving the numbers of heart disease up steadily um, is that we're seeing, you know, such increases and in, related increases in obesity. One thing I would also add, too, is I think as excessive drinking uh, of alcohol, I'm thinking during the pandemic, people were isolated and lonely. And I understand that the level of consuming alcohol has increased. Decreasing it would also uh, uh, decrease the risk of heart disease. Is is that not true? Yeah. You know, um, the, the phrase, you know, Everything in moderation comes to mind when I think about, you know, if, if you want to think about how you can decrease your risk for heart disease overall, um, everything in moderation is is a, a good way to think about um, consumption of whether it's alcohol or, you know, I'm not saying, you know, never have, um, you know, a burger, but, you know, having it once once in a, in a blue moon is it will contribute to your heart health as opposed to having it every day. Um, and I would say the same thing for for um, alcohol consumption. You've mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, about the mental health. And I suspect that um, managing anger and stress uh, is important, too. Uh, in in so far as lowering heart attack risk, absolutely. So you know we know that um, uh, you know when we become angry or we when we become stressed, our ad- adrenaline increases and therefore our our, our blood pressure increases, um, and everything sort of gets heightened. Um, and it could, in some cases, um, lead to. Um, a heart attack. I mean, we, we know that to be true. Um, and stress is, it should be taken seriously. You know, it, when, when people, when, when people are experiencing, let's say chest pain and and shortness of breath, and somebody might say, oh, it's just stress. I, I really, you know, want to, um, emphasize that it isn't just stress. It is stress that needs to be taken seriously. Um, because it, it does impact our heart health, absolutely. And I would uh, also like to get a little more information about support, uh, close family relationships, good friendships uh, amongst women. Does that also help uh, improve the chances of a, a better recovery from a heart attack? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I just think about... Um, how influential your friends were when you were in high school, your peer group, you know, they, they, that determined what you uh, wore, what words, what, how you spoke, what music you listened to, what you ate. I mean, it's true in adulthood. You know, when you surround yourself with people who love you and who, who, and who you love in return, um, and, and when you um, share uh, healthy habits with each other, um, that will help you in terms of your overall heart health in recovery from heart attacks, but also in the prevention of, of, of future heart attacks. Really, really important. I um, mean, at Women Heart, what we do is cultivate uh, a peer support group 
of women who have themselves survived heart attacks or, or heart events or heart diagnoses. And having, um, having, you know, being part of a peer group where others have experienced the same trauma that you have, there's nothing like it. I, I hear women all the time say, I have, I finally felt heard. I finally felt seen and to be understood in a way, um, that you don't need to explain the fears and the, and the anxieties around having had a heart attack, um, is, is priceless in terms of, um, your mental health and in terms of the social support that is so fundamental in, in living a heart healthy life. And Selena, because you've been mentioning Women Heart, I'd like to have our listeners know a little bit more about Women Heart. When when was it established and under what circumstances? Who came together to establish this organization and, and what is your focus? Absolutely. So um, in 1999, three women came together to establish Women Heart and it came um, it came about as a result of, of their um unacceptable and inexcusable experiences of um, having had delays in diagnosis, um, uh, being being not believed um, in the healthcare setting, um, and essentially being dismissed. Um, they all had some version of heart disease, a heart attack, um, and uh, eventually got the diagnosis, but that delay in, in the diagnosis obviously contributed to the, the severity of their conditions. Um, and they were, they were really angry and decided that, you know, they weren't going to stand for it and that they didn't want other women to go through what they went through. And that really was the, the cornerstone for the organization um, Women Heart that exists today. So for the last 24 years, we have been training women uh, living with heart disease to be empowerers for other women, to help other women not be alone um, during their heart journeys, um, to share their experiences, um, and to allay their fears. You know, a lot of women um, who we uh, come across are afraid for, um, because of, you know, the imp impending procedure they're about to undergo. And when they see a woman who has had the exact same procedure, um, 10 years on thriving, not only thriving, but helping other women, um, that immediately changes the tone and changes the energy in the room from fear to hope, from fear to um, anticipation of what can follow, of a recovery process that can that can result in them helping other women. It is a remarkable um, uh, experience to be a part of, of this organization and to get to lead, um, you know, a, a vision uh, that was started by um, Nancy Loving and um, two other women in 1999 and to carry that through to today. And sadly, we have to raise our voices even louder today. You know, it's not gotten much better in the last 24 years and we have to continue the fight um, to make sure that women get the care that they deserve and are believed um, and are treated in the same way that men are treated when it comes to uh, their recovery and, and uh, their rehabilitation. And you mentioned a little bit earlier in the interview about uh, clinical trials and that they tend to focus more on men rather than women. Is that part of the mission of Women Heart is to encourage women to participate in clinical trials? Uh, talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's even today, only 38% of participants in clinical trials is, are women, despite us being over half the population. So we continue to be um, part of consortiums here in, in Washington, D.C. Um, to encourage and to insist that clinical trials be 50-50 men and women. Um, not only that, to insist that um, there is diversity in terms of ethnic makeup and, and racial makeup um, and representation, um, you know, across the, the spectrum of, of diversity. Um, that's the only way that we can ensure that the drugs that do get approved by the FDA actually will be effective across the multitude um, of groups that we have um, in this country and around the world. 
And is there some place that women can find out more about these clinical trials? Is it just on Women Heart uh, website? Are there other sites that um, on the internet that w- they can learn more about the clinical trials and participation? Yeah, so um, certainly you can learn more about what, what Women Heart is doing at womenheart.org. Um, but there are other sites. There are um, there's an office of uh, women's health at the FDA. Um, that's another really great resource um, for women who have an interest in in joining um, such trials um, and just sort of keeping you know keeping up to date in in the developments of of what's happening in clinical trials. Um, but I, if you are interested. And learning more, I would absolutely encourage you to reach out to us at womenheart.org, um, and we would be happy to point you in the right direction. And I just want to, because this program is broadcast throughout the country, if people are interested in joining support groups, is there a possibility that there are these support groups in other states where we're broadcasting here in uh, Arlington, Virginia? But I was just wondering if people live elsewhere in the United States, whether those support groups are available. Yes, they are. We are in um, about 38 states around the country, um, but we also offer support groups virtually. So we can literally um, provide support to women with heart disease or at risk of heart disease wherever you are, as long as you've got an internet connection or look us up um, uh, on at womenheart.org. We also have a program called Sister Match, um, and it's an app that you can download um, and that allows you to connect one-on-one with a woman who has heart disease um, if you are m- more comfortable speaking to, to one person versus speaking in a support, uh, you know, in a group. Um, that's another way to receive support from, um, from our Women Heart Champions. Okay. Any final comments? No, other than I, I appreciate the opportunity um, to, to rate, continue to re- raise awareness about heart disease in women. Um, it is, you know, it, it's unfortunately something that we have to uh, keep, uh, you know, raising our voices about because it, it, I, I think it's a, it's a matter of justice. Well said. Well, I want to thank Selena Gore, Chief Executive Officer of an organization called Women Heart, for joining me today. If you want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio podcasts and the TV show episodes, in addition to the Aging Matters podcast on Apple and Spotify. So be sure and check out that, that site. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, and you can learn more about that company at inkmouthmedia.com. So thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. 